The following conversation contains strong language and subjects of a mature nature. Hello and welcome to Meet the Stars, the podcast where each week I, Luke Anthony, delve deeper into the career, life and mental health of the stars. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Giles Paley Phillips this week, an award-winning author, co-host of the award-nominated Blank podcast, musician, and do you know what? He's just a great person. His new book, Blank, inspired by his podcast, is now available for pre-order. It was co-written by his co-host of the podcast, Jim Daly, so go pre-order your copy now. If you'd like to get in touch, follow us on social media, or find out more about this week's guest, all of that information is in the description. But for now, this is Giles Paley Phillips. Giles, welcome to Meet the Stars podcast. I really, really appreciate your time and, and coming onto the show with your busy schedule that you've got going on. Well, thanks for having me on. I guess, I guess, firstly, start with how you got into writing. But you, you started as a musician, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I mean, it's best to sort of start by saying that I was really terrible at school. <laughs> like, I was really, really bad. I was just not academic at all. And yeah, I kind of failed all my GCSEs bar English. And it wasn't till I went to college. So I, I think I went, because of, of the way our education system works, I kind of felt compelled to carry on trying. And so I went to college and did was doing re- like retakes. Because the goal was that, you know, you have to get A-levels. Because, you know, if you even if you don't want to go to university, like you're not going to be able to get a job or whatever without A-levels. So that was the goal. And I didn't have, obviously, to have enough GCSEs to do the A-levels. So it was I went and did GCSE retakes. And when I was at college, I met a guy called Joe, and he was in another band. And we went and went and saw them do a few gigs, and they were they were really good, actually. They, were, they did quite a lot of their own material, but they did a few covers as well, and it was kind of general kind of rock and metal music. And I kind of got really started to get into that kind of music and was just kind of turned on to, like, wanting to be in a band and, and, and trying to learn an instrument. So I, I bought a crappy old guitar. I bought an encore from Argus, which is <laughs> a dreadful, dreadful guitar. The intonation was was really terrible so intonation for anyone who's not a guitar player is the how the strings sit on the fretboard and it was really terrible so the strings were miles away from the fretboard so learning to play it was really difficult because you had to really like push down on the strings and it was very painful end up um, end up with fingers like sandpaper <laughs> yeah oh, i was horrendous yeah and you know just trying to learn bar chords and stuff on it was just nightmare and i bought loads of guitar tab books because i wanted to learn like pearl jam songs and stuff and yeah so and we just started learning our instruments together he uh, so he he decided he wanted to do like a side project and you know we kind of we started writing songs and stuff together and that's kind of how it started really and then he he left that band and we sort of started a bit more seriously and i we got we we got a lot better at playing our instruments and he was a very talented singer uh, and lyricist and uh, yeah and then we met up with some other guys um we advertised for a drummer and got a bass player and and then we you know spent the next 3 4 years kind of touring around the country and playing festivals and and recorded a couple of EPs and actually ironically this week um it's sort of 20 years this year it'll be 20 years since we played Glastonbury We've been able to release all our old material. Just um, this week, it's been released on Spotify. So it's been really nice to sort of go back and listen to that stuff that we wrote all those years ago, and 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 actually have it out there for people to hear. It didn't um, make so you. It, it didn't fill you with shame then. I, often when I see my output from 
you know, 20 years ago, I'd have been mm. nine. So the output at nine <laughs> yeah. would have been would have been really bad. So how did you cope with that? Is you, do you not look at it and say, oh, really, did I do that? Well, well, at first you sort of think, well, I mean, obviously there are things you listen to and think, oh, I'd do that differently now or I'd play that differently or I'd record it differently. But actually, no, I'm really, really super proud of it, actually. I think we were, I think in some respects we didn't, we found it difficult to get a record deal at the time because I think a lot of people thought we were a little bit ahead of our time. And I'm not saying that in to, to sound boastful or anything, but I think we were just, we were kind of playing music that was a little bit more out there than a lot of the bands that were around at the time. And um, listening back to it, actually, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it still sounds quite relevant, even though... yeah. You know, a lot of the bands that we were playing gigs with and stuff were doing sort of pop punk and just generic punk and 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 met and like more like new metal kind of stuff. And we were kind of not really doing that sort of stuff. We were doing we were more into um, Tool and Helmet and doing alternative rock, which uh, which I think a lot of that stuff is still quite quite relevant now. You know, bands like Tool and things like that we were really into. So I think in some respects, I I feel like it's aged quite well. But that might be just me having a nostalgic <laughs> ear to it. You yeah. know. I'm oh, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm certain. I'll try and get them, get a couple of the tracks on on one of our radio stations that I, I present on. That'd be quite decent. Oh yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah, that would be really kind. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll send you some links for sure. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I still play in a band. I still play with the drummer in that band. Um, we've st- we've been playing together for like you know twenty odd years now, and um, I do a band called Burnt House with another guy who plays bass and sings and kind of similar sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I really love. Love that. Um, this is a very long, long drawn out um, answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say was, <laughs> is that um, you know you, you started writing just before your first son was was born. Yeah. And it and it came just about from wanting to write a story for him, and mm. I guess obviously that's fast forwarding from from your music career and, and things mm. like that. But now one of your boys is in his teens and the other one's on his way. Mm. Whilst they see your successful career as like dad's job, hmm. do they still inspire the work that you do, even though they may look at your work and think, ah, I'm not interested in that? I guess probably not as much as they did. You know, a, a lot of the time it was sort of being inspired to write things that might, they might enjoy. It wasn't necessarily, you know, some, some writers say, you know, it might be something that their child says or, or something they're into, but it was, it was more kind of wanting to write material for them. And I so to a certain extent, yeah, that's kind of, has changed because because they are heading towards you know I say one one of my children's thirteen the other one's eleven so they're kind of getting out I mean I the bulk of my kind of writing has been predominantly picture books which is obviously for much younger children but I would say yeah I've kind of evolved my writing's evolved quite a lot anyway actually I mean I've done an ad hoc book of uh, a verse novel which came out at the beginning of this year and then I've um, and I've written a couple of other novels and then I obviously moved on we've just announced I've done a, a non-fiction book that's based on the podcast I do so I've kind of I guess my writing has evolved to a certain extent and for a long time I was trying to just appeal to them and now I'm trying to appeal to a slightly wider <laughs> yeah. audience so yeah so so I would say no really in, 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 in essence probably not they probably don't inspire me quite as much as they used to but they inspire me in other ways. Actually, they I mean, this year they've been a huge inspiration to me with just the way they've kind of adapted and, and taken on everything that's been thrown at them with, with regards to the pandemic. So I think actually they inspire me in other ways now. And I guess maybe that will filter into my work as well. So, yeah, in certain ways they do still inspire me. But 
Of yes, course, and, and by writing by writing in this together, which is an audio book for children about mm. COVID nineteen, clearly that was sort of born out of you know your children maybe having questions about why they're not at school mm. or why they're not going to be able to see their friends for so many months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we had to have those hard conversations with our children. Obviously, they're a bit older, so they were a bit more able to sort of take it on. We you know we allowed them to watch new, some of the news conferences and stuff and ask questions, and be, we always tried to be really honest with them. Yeah, and the idea of the story was to, I guess, for parents that may not feel quite so comfortable doing that or not know the right, have the right, you know, right words to say. And so the book was definitely for those people that, you know, would find it a bit more difficult and for their children to try and comprehend this sort of weird, you know, this terribly weird thing that we've we've been going through. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully it did that for that for 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 many people. So that was that was nice to be able to do that project. Yeah, for sure, and it's uh, you know very. Very giving and and selfless thing to have done as well, you know, taking your own experience of your own conversations with your children, and then perhaps giving other other parents the opportunity to have an easier conversation with their children is is such a nice thing to do. Yeah, it was really lovely. I mean, I, to be honest, I've been trying to do that quite a lot of, with my work. I mean, the, I wrote a book some years ago called Little Bell on the Moon, which is kind of touches on grief and bereavement, and it was again, it was something. Um, I've suffered bereavement in my life when I was younger. I lost my mum when I was six and my dad when I was 20. And so it was always something that the kids were always, you know, and a lot of children, anyone who's got children will know that there are stages in probably between the ages of sort of six and nine where they start to be very curious about death. And I, I'm, I'm generalising, it might not be every child, but certainly my children and, and children of friends I know were started to sort of question death and, you know, mortality and all that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I really wanted to have a, a book that, adults could have that safe environment of the bedtime story they could talk to their children about you know difficult subjects uh, and then my and my novel that came out at the end, beginning of this year again is about loss and bereavement so it's something I've always w- wanted to put in my work is to have conversation starters really you know that's always been something that's been important to me and that was obviously based on you you losing your mother when you were six yourself mm. um a hugely hard thing to go through um at such a tender age I mean it's a difficult thing to go through at any age but how did you cope with that growing up and and now that obviously there's a mother to your children what, what sort of conversations do you have as a family uh, setting aside your creativities mm. oh, I mean address your um your last point first we we've always been super honest with our with the children about what's happened to their grandparents obviously my parents are not around anymore my wife's father took his own life when she was in her teenage years so we've experienced a lot of bereavement in the family loss and it's something that we've always tried to be very open with the children about from from a very young age you know and not try to sugarcoat it too much and you know say you know for example with Michelle my wife's father who had clearly had bipolar and um, went through a lot of years of of being very ill and 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 sort of explaining that it was an illness that he had you know a mental illness and that you know that's why he decided to take his life and again with my parents you know just trying to be very not be harsh about it but just to to, to let you know let them know how how life was for us you know but both of us have very difficult upbringings so we've always tried to be really really honest with them and I think that's put us in good stead really because I think also it means they can you know they they can always come to us and talk to us about stuff which is which is nice so as you know as a family we've always tried to be quite open how honest with them are you when it comes to your emotions? I think, yeah, I think we are pretty open as well. Yeah, I think we've started doing a thing, actually. This, I mean, it started in the beginning with the first lockdown. We started doing... My youngest has um, quite severe dyslexia and, and struggles a lot at school with, with his self-esteem more than, you know, as well as, as well as having, like, learning difficulties. And 
we always want him to be able to express himself and he gets frustrated as you can imagine and so we started doing a thing every evening when we were sitting around having dinner where we would we'd all say one good thing that happened one bad thing and one thing we're grateful for every day and that's been really empowering for us because we've been able to express really candidly how how we're feeling in those moments and and how those things you know how those good things make us feel and how those bad things make us feel and also you know those things that we are generally grateful for and uh, it's been a really positive thing for us to put in place as as a family so it means that yes we can express those times when we're not feeling so good and also express the the fact that even in every you know even if you have a really bad day there is generally something good there that's been really really great for us and uh, again it's allowed us all to be open about how we feel what sort of things have they said to you have they have they said anything that's slightly alarming or at all to you no nothing alarming i guess it's uh, it's generally i mean for them it's you know it's relative so it could be for example my son said yesterday that he'd had a bad lesson at school you know he sort of said oh the teacher was being mean you know obviously the teacher was maybe having a maybe themselves having a stressful or or anxious day and kind of you know it'd come across that way so it's it can tends to be kind of things like that or if they've had an argument with one another my boys are really close they're you know they're they're, they're two years apart but they're really into the same things they get on really well but you know occasionally they will have a little row you know whereas we all get on each other's you know everyone gets on each other's words at some point in time but uh so that you know they might say that you know they're upset about that but no it's generally nothing too alarming but it does mean that there might be something that they will say surface which actually leads you down a path to something that's actually more that's that's bothering them more and yeah. I think having those open discussions means that we can investigate things a little bit more with them and, 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 and give them that, that freedom to speak openly. I think it's a really healthy mentality to have with your children. And it, and it also mm. it allows them to trust you with, with you being honest as well about how you're feeling about something. Yeah, no, that's and that's it. And I think if they, you know, like I say, we've always tried to be very honest about that anything sort of bad aspects of our lives as well as the good ones and i think yeah it just leads to a healthier relationship with us all and the fact that you know they feel that they they don't have to bottle anything up particularly and that that you know that's always going to be a good thing i'm going to i'm going to make an incredible segue now you know you you being a obviously clearly and and evidently an amazing dad you're also an amazing podcaster and you do a podcast called blank podcast with um a friend of yours jim daly he's a comedian yeah and I, I don't know if you know this, but it, you know, it started in 2000, or you know, you know the year it started, but it started in 2018. It's, it's literally two years as we're speaking now that you, you started that podcast. Yeah, I think something pops up on like a time hop or something on Facebook and said, and it was a picture of us with John Ronson because he was our first guest. Yeah. And thinking, oh, wow, it's like, the, it's really flown by. It's really flown by. It doesn't feel like two years by any means. But we are we're sort of heading towards 100 episodes. So yeah, clearly it has been two years. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever done. As a, as a project, it's been absolutely wonderful experience. Working with Jim's great. Uh, we do it all ourselves, just to, the two of us, we record we record ourselves we edit ourselves although as we'll say we we, we try not to edit too much of this of the um, <laughs> yeah. episodes yeah, yeah. Uh, we try and keep it as as raw and natural as possible but yeah so we put put the episodes together ourselves we um we source all the guests ourselves um it's a real kind of amateur there's a bit of an amateur spirit to it which i like a bit of diy ethic and we've been really 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 lucky to get amazing 
um, such amazing guests on with and, and have such amazing conversations with people and uh, yeah I'm th- so grateful to everyone that's been on and Jim and I see it as kind of therapy really it's our therapy yeah. session every week yeah well um, and it's all about you know talking talking about people's personal lives their careers their relationships mm. like you know having writer's block social anxiety like imposter syndrome and obviously mm. clearly those moments of those blank moments that you have yeah. in life so what was the inspiration behind starting it in the first place well I'd wanted to do a podcast for like literally since like podcast started I remember what I was working around the same time I was sort of started writing actually yeah I think I'd started listening to things like the Ricky Gervais show which was sort of a bit of a I know there were other shows around that time as well but that was one that kind of caught the the headlines a bit more because obviously Ricky Ricky and Steve Merchant and Carl Pilkington had a bit more high profile so that show and I remember thinking I used to work at this shop and there was a lady that worked in it. It was quite eccentric. And I remember we used to listen to that. And then I, she was like my Carl Pilkington because she would say <laughs> this weird, she would say these like really weird things. And I remember thinking, I need to capture this because the conversations we have are really weird. And, but there was that idea of like the conversations, you know. And so I'd, it's always been something I'd wanted to do. And I'd, I'd approached a few people in the past about doing it. I never wanted to do it on my own. I always kind of wanted to do it as a... I love collaboration, you know, being in a band. And, and, and writing is less of a collaboration. It's often... Although, I have, having said that, once you get into the publishing bit it's with, with editors and stuff, it, it's more of a collaboration. But generally, like, the making of the thing is very singular. And so I really wanted to collaborate again. The podcast came about really because I was going through a sort of... I guess I was, I think I I wasn't getting much work in and I was struggling with writing. So I talked to Jim, we're both um, big Crystal Palace fans and he does oh, a Crystal Palace instant connection podcast. Then. Yeah, so we got the hat, yeah. <laughs> he does a Palace podcast and I list, which I listen to religiously and uh, I thought, do you know what, Jim would be, he's got really cool energy about him. I think he'd be a really per- good person to do this with. And I happened to sort of approach him about it and he was saying, wow, this is actually really sort of serendipitous because... You know, he's a stand-up, but he was—he'd had the fear. He kind of got the fear about going back in, and he was having problems writing new material. And I thought, well, we're both on the same page with regards to where we're at. We're having these—you know—we're having a blank moment. We have—you know—we're really struggling creatively. And I guess it started thinking that we're just to other creatives, you know, other stand-ups, other writers, actors, and stuff. But. And, that, and that's kind of how it started, really. We, yeah. we asked who the sort of people we were approaching. And then as we started recording, even like within the first couple of recordings we did, it was pretty obvious that there was far bigger scope for, for the subjects that were, were coming up. And that, you know, we could literally talk to anybody and they would have, you know, they'd have their own blank moment. And, and that's what's happened, really. The blank, the idea of blankness or what your blank moment is has evolved into these different subjects, which you sort of set, mentioned and alluded to. Things like imposter syndrome, public failure, grief, education, you know, all these different things. Everybody's unique blank moment. And uh, that's what's so fascinating about it. Yeah, you, you touched it there, touched on it there with the one of the main themes being imposter syndrome. And as somebody who felt that you were failing in, before you did the podcast and before you, you know, you weren't, you weren't getting much work in, how much have you mm. felt that imposter syndrome when you, by starting the podcast and speaking to the big names like Dawn French, Caroline Lucas, Louis Theroux, and, and you mentioned mm. a few earlier, many more, and John Ronson and so many people, you must have had that element of imposter syndrome with speaking to such, you know, successful people. Every week. <laughs> every week. Every week. Every week. Every week. Yeah. Every week before we start. It's the same. Yeah, terrible imposter syndrome. But what's what's so great about the podcast is that within 
five ten minutes you realize that the guest has got <laughs> pretty much probably the same feelings and that's the, the wonderful thing and that's why you know Jim and I see it kind of as therapy because we talk to these incredible people who are incredibly successful and brilliant at what they do and they have the same neurosis anxieties and feelings around their art or their or whatever they do for a living as much as as anybody any other creative people that I know so I guess it's reassuring you become very reassured quite quickly that actually we're all winging it a bit <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter really how successful you are you're still going to have those those moments and you can still have some of those feelings wherever you know you maybe not in that particular situation but certainly in other situations those people might get put into so but yeah definitely imposter syndrome has always been a, a big thing for me I've written 10 books and I've, I've only just recently kind of started to think of myself as actually being a writer <laughs> because you just don't think you think well that's what other people do even though you've got proof in in writing <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah of course and, and yeah. it's weird because a lot of people who start these careers or start early on like comedians writers radio presenters they call themselves all of those things before they've ever done anything notable but it's, in, it's interesting that it's taken 10 books for you to real, to actually accept that <laughs> yeah. that you are successful in, in your field. Yeah, it's still it's still something I slightly cringe at, actually, I have to say. I didn't get you on here to make you cringe, <laughs> to be honest. No, 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 <laughs> but it's, it, no, not at all, no, but it's just that kind of, well, it's kind of like coming to terms with it, which is silly, really. But it, I think just thinking that, just sort of owning that thing that you're doing, I find very difficult. Yeah, definitely. Whilst this taught you so many things and one thing it gave you something and then it actually caused you something more with with imposter syndrome what would you say is Mm. the biggest thing you've learned about yourself throughout presenting the blank podcast I'm actually a lot more relaxed I mean although I get sort of imposter syndrome the imposter syndrome is generally about my abilities as a broadcaster yeah as opposed to more like I'm actually quite comfortable talking to the to the guests in general like I thought I think I mean there've been there've obviously been some where I've been quite nervous but generally speaking I'm, I feel quite good at having a conversation with famous people I'm not I, I'm not as wary <laughs> and as scared as I thought I would be because I think when we first started the pod and I was starting to book guests and I was sort of thinking well Louis Fru's agreed to be on am I going to be able to sit in a room with Louis Fru and not be very very nervous and and actually I, I was fine you know, and I've been fine in those situations it tends to be more like almost that that thing when you sort of analyze it's like football analysis like anal- analyzing the game afterwards I'm much worse at that like looking back and thinking oh I didn't say that right or I didn't do I didn't do that quite justice that I should have done that's what I'm more like almost actually it's the post-match analysis that I'm, I'm much uh, worse at yeah a little while back you said in an interview you said that a blank podcast was your main focus Fast forward a little bit, you have a new book on its way and another podcast. I mean, do you have this perpetual desire to just keep producing content? <laughs> and obviously, on the back of that, the new book that you've released is coming out in March next year, is inspired by the podcast and it's called Blank, Why It's Fine to Falter and Fail and How to Pick Yourself Up Again. Mm. Tell us about that book. Funny enough, I was sort of saying earlier, when when I started, I, I kind of started to realise quite early into the process, even within like the, I mean, the first day of recording we did at my house and we did, we had three guests who were sort of people actually who I really wanted to talk to, but they were like more local to me. And I thought, well, this is a good way we can test the water, Jim and I can test the water a little bit. That's what we did within those three episodes. I thought, I started to think we could expand this 
to a great degree it could be something other than i don't know what i was thinking at the time maybe we could do like a blog or maybe we could do videos or something i don't know i wasn't really thinking what but i just knew that there was probably room for maneuver into other things and uh and then as, as the process went on even further i thought okay maybe we should write we could write a book there's, there's so much content here that we can draw from well i'm not talking about the sort of transcripts of the pod as such but just the the themes and stuff that were coming up and and then i said to jim well i'm gonna i put together a little pitch and I sort of showed it to Jim and you know, agreed on on kind of the things we wanted to focus on within the book. And then I just messaged, I knew the commissioning editor at Quadrille, who are a brilliant nonfiction publisher. And um, I love their work. Their books are brilliant. And they're the only people I really went to with it. Luckily, they they, re- they really liked the idea as well. So and um, decided they wanted to publish the book. And the book is really, it is based around the themes that come up in the pods. So there's like 11 chapters that focus on you know, some of the things we've talked about, public failure, social anxiety, imposter syndrome, mentors and education, grief, sleep deprivation. So all these things that cause people to have blank moments. And we sort of, we, Jim and I talk about our own experiences with those. So there's a sort of kind of almost memoir kind of part of the book. And then we draw on pieces of, sections from the from the podcast where our guests have, have have mentioned these things and their takes on it and we've kind of paraphrased those in the books there are also kind of anecdotal kind of stories and things from either things that have been in the news or interesting stories or or, or historical kind of things that again are, are kind of tied up in those themes yeah it's been a really really enjoyable process doing i've first time i've written a non-fiction book it's first time i've written a book with someone else jim's first attempt at a book so it's been a really really interesting process and what's been great about it is that we didn't want it to be just a companion to the podcast we want it to be a book that people if you've never heard the podcast you, you don't need to have heard the podcast to read the book and that's really important to us that we had this sort of standalone narrative non-fiction book that people could could get something from and and take from and then you know if it's a bonus if they if they listen to the podcast or like the podcast already so that's been really it's been really really fun and really excited to see it come out absolutely and i, I can't wait to to be able to purchase it i know you can you can pre-order it now on any decent mm. online all the retail stuff's closed at the moment but hopefully by the time this goes out it'll be open so go to your local bookshop and buy yes. it or pre-order it online do something like that but one of the things i wanted to ask you about that was that I know you mentioned earlier that one of your main things that you love doing in in creativities is is that collaboration side of things. Mm. And writing a book on your own is it can be quite solitary until mm. uh, up until the point you know you start collaborating with the publishers and people that do the artwork and the font and all of those things. Mm. How does your ego get impacted when you're working with somebody you know now know quite well from doing the podcast? Because with a podcast, it's all very organic in the way that it comes out. You know, the conversations happen and develop as they go. Mm. But with the book, it has to be something relatively structured and focused. So when someone's not happy with an avenue you're going down, do you have to just cut mm-hmm. it completely? Or, do you, or, or you... I guess what my question is, is, is your ego left of the door or do you have does that come into it constantly when you're writing with with jim i think for us we the ego definitely gets left at the door we're not we're there to help each other and support each other really it was jim's first writing experience so i wanted to help guess shepherd him through that he was often asking me for advice on on the process 
and obviously like working with and Codrio have been the the editorial team there's been fantastic as well so I wanted to make it as smooth as possible and help each other out when we needed to help each other out and yeah we were constantly sort of sending like whatsapp audio messages to each other saying do you think this bit works this is what you know yeah so it was really nice in that respect you know I'm I I guess I'm more experienced than he than he is at this stage in the writing thing but you know he Jim's got a, a background in journalism. He's he, he writes articles for for the Athletic and and other. He's written for national newspapers before. So it was kind of I guess trying to also try and instill in Jim that he he's very capable of writing a, a book and um, he's got the skills. He's got the he's very very capable. And so yeah. So I guess it was again it was sort of just yeah just supporting each other along the way. Yeah, we didn't have any any sort of moments particularly where we disagreed on stuff we've been pretty i've been pretty lucky with that with with jim i think both of us are pretty fairly laid back and i mean the whole sort of process of doing the podcast as well that we've we've never had any disagreements or anything so we've always been on the same page i think what's unique what's good about the book as well is that we very much have solo voices in it as well so we've got jim's voice and we've got my voice um and we're talking about those things very separately the subjects that come up so again it meant that you know, we did have the freedom to do our own thing within a thing that was collaborative. Yeah. You mentioned before in another interview about how writing something nonfiction is a very good thing to write when you're in public. Or I, I, we can give a shout out to your favourite cafe um, if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Backers. Yeah, Backers is my favourite cafe. Yeah, brilliant. There you go. Backers, if you want to sponsor a Thanks, podcast, Backers. get on to <laughs> Blank Podcast and... They're doing takeaways at the moment. They are they're going to do takeaways. Brilliant, <laughs> amazing. Backers are, are fantastic, and I might travel two hundred miles to go and um, to go and have a coffee there. <laughs> do you know it's worth it? Honestly. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> and you spoke about how writing in writing nonfiction in a public place and picking up characters is a lot better than writing something that is fictional. And interestingly, I have I have it the opposite way around when I'm writing. That by being in a mm. cafe, I, I'm inspired by people's characters and they become little ticks about people become characters within within a story i just i just wondered how how you've coped writing that when when i guess for a part of writing it you would have had to have written it from home mm. yeah interesting i'd written the bulk of the first draft before lockdown and we sort of did um like second drafts and edits during lockdown so we were doing that sort of more the homework stuff during lockdown so it was quite good to be at home to like to, 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 to sort of know that there's a deadline looming but yeah those first drafts yeah I think it do you know what I think with this one because it was the non-fiction and, and we were sort of talking about these because of the subjects we were talking about it did mean that I could have conversations with people about those subjects and I did do that I sort of like would get into conversations with people and sort of mention what I was doing and, and, and we'd, we'd talk about those things and that was really good to get sounding boards from from people sometimes people I didn't know so that was really useful I've never I mean yeah all the fiction I've ever written I've kind of done it I have done it from home I think you're probably right actually you probably would do me probably do me well <laughs> to, to sort of to, to get out I mean I just want any excuse to go and sit in, in backers yeah. and have a coffee really. I just need to say um, I just need to say that Giles should definitely not take advice from me I'm, a, I'm an unpublished writer <laughs> and he's, he's got 10 books behind him and I've got no none. no no <laughs> oh no but no but it's always good to hear how other people do things yeah i'm always i'm always interested in how other people's processes work and how what they do and what what works for them and what doesn't work for them so it's you know i'm and i'm always willing to adapt and change you know the way i work i don't i'm not sort of setting my ways particularly i'm not i'm i'm not roald dahl in my 
in my shed with you know my my glass of gin and my cigarettes you know and I only work till 12 o'clock I'm not like that I, I like to um I, I normally create you know try and create especially particularly with writing it's always quite organic and allow allow that process the process to be organic and if that means you know sitting in a park writing notes or going to a coffee shop or being at home in front of a computer um, which has been my general sort of mo is to do it in front of a you know to do on a computer then yeah i'm happy to sort to try other things but i think for 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 the blank book i really enjoyed sitting in sitting in a cafe and overhearing conversations and listening to people and taking on information that way but uh I'm not opposed to doing that for fiction. No, it's amazing. And and the, the other thing I didn't know either was that it was a no-no to listen to music as you write a book because everything, almost every inspiration I ever have for something when I'm sitting down thinking or pondering something has come from listening to a piece of music I absolutely adore. And I think, oh, this would, you know, if this was ever made into a film, this would be yeah. incredible. Yeah, you know, yeah. this, this this would suit this. And then, and then I can get three or four or five pages just from that moment of inspiration i i didn't know that that was a a no-no everything is molded on music for me in terms of the way i work i think it's just because we communicate so well with music that Mm. it it does always evoke emotion whether it's negative or positive yeah yeah that's exactly what you say it's emotive isn't it and i've always found it really useful to listen to music i make playlists like you say like almost like soundtracks and I did that for, I've done that for all the books I've written. Uh, all the, also more, more the adult books, not the children's ones so much. But um, I find it really, really useful to, especially if I'm, particularly if I'm sort of going over a particular bit where I'm trying to hit on a particular emotion. I think it's really, yeah, it's in, um, like you say, it really emotes and gets almost beneath your skin a little bit so that you you start to, it's almost sort of seeps into you. I don't know what it, yeah, into uh, maybe into the subconscious as well to sort of, yeah, to sort of guide me a little bit. But I have talked to other writers and I've read things about other writers that, that don't like to listen to music. Having said that, we spoke to Ian Rankin on the um, podcast the other day and I think he probably knows a thing or two about writing. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, I think um, it's an understatement. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said he listens to music. He doesn't listen to music. He very rarely listens to music with words, funny enough, actually. But he said he, he listens to music to, to give him, like, yeah, to, to help him get into the moment yeah. a little bit more when he's writing so i get if it's good enough for him Rankin, yeah it's good for us yeah uh, ludovico yeah. arnaldi never never disappoints oh amazing fantastic yeah, yeah i've seen i've seen ludovico a couple of times in Have he? oh he's incredible um, he's... yeah just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal and yeah i mean incredibly emotive music another conversation but his the, the, his mm. the whole way that he's inspired by writing music is is quite incredible i think another another yeah. shout out to another great podcast um the happy place his interview with fern cotton is incredible um mm. so yeah no he's, he's he's someone i'd love to talk to love to talk to him he's, he's the next guest if you're listening ludovic. <laughs> yeah ludovic if you're, li- if you're listening he's almost certainly not listening to this <laughs> <laughs> one of the your big goals was like you said earlier to to start right to, to start a podcast and you've, you've achieved that you take that mm. on off and mm. and now you've got two particular podcasts that you know your main things was like a little bit of positive podcast with mm. tv presenter julia bradbury mm. that was started partway through the pandemic and i know you're particularly positive and and brilliant on social media in such a negative environment what was the inspiration be- behind starting that podcast with julia 
Well, uh, Julia being on um, blank and she's just got an amazing energy about her, Julia. She's just so vivacious and larger than life and she's brilliant. She's brilliant to be around. And uh, we'd been talking for ages about maybe doing a project together. And uh, again, she's putting over kind of very positive and upbeat kind of messages. And she's obviously very pro anti-plastic and and uh, environmental issues she's always really keen to to promote on on social media so yeah we just thought oh let's do something that's trying to, I mean we'd been talking about it for ages to do to do a podcast that was around you know positivity or kindness and and sort of more positive news stories really and having guests on who had maybe not entirely positive kind of lives but had like positive outcomes yeah. from difficult situations so uh, and we really wanted to talk to sort of more real real life people not celebrities as such you know um, obviously some of the people we have on are well known but you know they're well known in their fields and so yeah that was kind of the, the inspiration behind it and we we were really thought it would be important to start it during lockdown Absolutely, because yeah. i think for, for both of us we we just yeah we thought it was just an ideal time because people Needed, you know, people need distractions, and it was something for us to to work on as well. So yeah, it's been it was really it's been a really fun journey doing it with uh, Judy and, and and talking to some amazing people who've had really really incredible kind of life stories. So yeah, I, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, you seem to podcasters is your new thing. You might you might you'll corner the market soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> You've spoken openly about mental health in the past and and on mm. social media, and one of your not to make this like a 21st century version of this is your life, but <laughs> literally two years today as we record this, you tweeted, anxiety and depression aren't choices or excuses. They aren't phases or cries for help. They can't just be switched on or off. What, what they are is debilitating and dangerous. Make someone else aware today and let's stop the stigma that surrounds mental health. That was two years today. And I just wondered... How does writing semi-autobiographical um, work impact your mental health? Wow, two years ago, I, I think I, have, I think I probably have put out a message out a few times. Actually, um, I have a tendency to repeat myself. But um, <laughs> that, thank you for sharing. That, no, but is that like in a word doc? Are you just you just sort of copy and paste it every every year? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. It's probably like slightly yeah, a slightly paraphrased version of, of of before. But I think it's still an important message. Yeah, I've always tried to be quite open about stuff particularly on social media as well just because there still is particularly around men's mental health there is still a lot of issues around men sort of opening up and wanting to talk about their their, their problems and you know we, there are I mean there's I don't know the precise statistics but they're obviously very high levels of men under the age of 40 that take their own lives and so I think you know it's something that we that I'm aware of like I said earlier my my wife's father took his own life when he was in his 40s uh, early 40s so it's something that we are acutely aware of in the house about and um, so it's always something I feel important to talk about I mean I've I've suffered from anxiety for many years and that's something I you know have learned to live with and uh, cope with but going back to your question about the book it was a difficult process I won't I won't lie to you it was a difficult process writing the book there were moments where I had to sort of put it aside, give myself some time out from it for months at times sometimes because I was sort of digging into a lot of memories, difficult memories for me. The difference between my own life and the, and the protagonist in the story, although most of the stuff in there is, is actually real, is that he's older. I was a lot younger when my mum passed away, so he's a lot older. But they are my... I am kind of 
espousing my teenage years, which are incredibly difficult. I mean, you think like going back to those kind of teenagers, which are horrible, really. But when you're in a sort of a family that's not functioning properly, they're even worse. So it was it was hard at times to to write the book. But for, for those that aren't, sort of get... aren't familiar, this is mm. this was your first adult written book, um, which was written in verses. Yes, sorry, yes, one hundred and fifty-two yeah. days, um, which is which is really good. Thank you. That's very kind. It's called yeah, one hundred and fifty-two days. It's it's a book written in verse, and it is about the protagonist has a mum who is going through sort of end of life care, and he is receiving treatment for pneumonia so he, he is unable he's, he's basically isolated from his mother who's who's very unwell uh, and he's got a father who's become slightly estranged from the family because he can't deal with the situation and he spends a lot of his day the protagonist spends a lot of his days with his grandmother who's quite eccentric and then he sort of meets he's having physiotherapy too for as treatment for his pneumonia and he meets this sort of very vivacious charismatic um physio called freya who kind of opens his eyes up to a, to a different way of, of living and, and 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 thinking about things. So it's you know it's a book of you know it's a quite a, you know when you, when I tell it say to people it sounds really depressing, but it's actually there's hopefully there's people can see there's a bit there's, there's a bit of humour in there, but there's a lot of there's also hope and and love are, are quite big themes in it. So I, I hope that comes across. But um, so that's kind of the the essence of the story. But yeah, there there are some sort of darker moments in it. Yeah, and I don't I try not to sugarcoat those too much. But and those and those moments were were hard to write for sure. It was cathartic. I you know, I know it's a word that gets used a lot these days, but it was cathartic. It was a cathartic experience. I'm so pleased I wrote it. It changed my life in a lot of ways. That's amazing. And and you you spoke there about you know, before about not just situation, you spoke about outcome and, and this is almost a, a beautiful outcome to something that was very, very difficult in your childhood. And you're responding in the most brilliant way because, you, you know, you, you, your podcast ooze inspiration and you've mentioned in the past that your family are your inspiration and, and that's that's incredible. This feels like a really beautiful way to, to finish this and I don't want to finish it yet because I'm enjoying talking to you so much. Thanks, man. And going forward with, with all these podcasts you're doing, all these amazing sort of mental health advocacies that you, you've got going on, Where's where's your inspiration drawing you? Do you do you want to write more about things that are aimed towards children, or do you want to focus on adults? Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I was thinking, I was almost asking myself this question the other day. So it's nice that someone else is asking me it too and putting me on the spot <laughs> because uh, I didn't I didn't conclude the conversation <laughs> with myself. Oh no! I would say at the moment I'm probably in a place where I want to write more for adults because I've enjoyed the experience so much I guess at the moment I feel I've got more, more to say I tend to like it's one of those things where I, I tend to do a creative I have a creative outlet wherever it might be whether it's music or children's books adult books podcasting whatever it might be I'm always trying to move forward with it and explore I'm a bit of an explorer creatively and I sometimes I often try and do things that I, you know, it goes back to that imposter syndrome thing. I probably put myself in in situations where I will feel imposter syndrome because I know I'm probably not capable of doing them. It's like a really weird. It's almost like self-flagellation. Let's go and do something that I've never done before. Probably going to be hopeless at it, but we'll give it a go anyway. I've been very lucky. You know, I've been very lucky that things, some things have worked out. There've been other projects that you know <laughs> I've done and things haven't worked out. But um, we won't talk about them. Generally speaking. <laughs> 
No, we won't talk about those. No, let's not do that. But yeah, I've been, I have, I've been very fortunate. I'm very grateful when I have sort of tried a new thing or a, a new project or set about trying something. It's generally, I'm not saying they're not all successful, but they are successful for me. So that, that, that I've got something out of them or they have informed me in some way or informed the way I move forward. So yeah. But going back to your question, I guess, yes, I think at the moment, probably my desire really is to continue to, in the writing sense, write more for for adults. But that's not to say I won't um, suddenly get an idea. (laughs) That's the the way inspiration and creativity (laughs) creativity works. And it can be a curse, but it can also be a huge gift. Yeah. Do you think your writing has matured in unison with your boys growing up? Well, it's funny, people keep... I remember when I, I was doing picture books and the boys were getting older and then people would say, oh, you're going to start writing middle grade books. Cause they were, and, I was, and I was like... Mm. And I kind of tried... I think I, I attempted some... Like, started trying to do it at home, like, thinking that that was what I should do because my children are getting older and I should... You know, I started writing picture books and, and younger stories because they were that age. And I was thinking, well, maybe I should keep writing stuff as they get older when they've done middle grade maybe i need to write a teen like a ya book and then eventually they'll be able to read but i've kind of got over that kind of impulse to try and follow them as they get older and just kind of do what i think i'm probably capable of doing having said that i've just said that i will (laughs) happily try i think you need to have the conversation with yourself again (laughs) i think i do because i'm i'm all over the shop (laughs) <laughs> but yeah i don't know it's, it's i just you just don't know i suppose it would just be either where the wind takes me or where i where i feel i'm at i guess there is a sort of thing in man innate sort of feeling of wanting to obviously wanting to produce stuff that my kids will like so i guess yeah there is always, always going to be like a, a feeling of oh it'd be nice to do something they would want to read now but I know that at the moment, that's probably not something I want to do. It's probably something that comes to you subconsciously without even knowing it. Things that they, you know, their behaviours or the conversations you have with them or the things that they say or the things they do. You probably learn from them in a way that you don't even notice. And that naturally comes into your writing in the way that you, you see the world, I guess. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, I think there's probably, they probably, like I say, they probably informed some aspects of um, the blank book. There's probably, I know there's bits, there's a, there's a, there is a section on parenting. So I know for a fact that they've, you know, they've influenced that. So they will, they will always be, you know, and I guess, you know, the people around us, the people closest to us generally influence a lot of what we do in life. So yeah, I would say definitely that they're, they're always there or thereabouts when it comes to my work. So you like you say, there's probably underlying things that they've, that they've inspired without me even thinking about it with a business that can be so precarious and and just as you think it's going well you know you things can not go well at any time with with publishing Mm. and and with with what you do so where do you find your true happiness that's a good question do you mean creatively or just in life satisfaction mm. with with your career obviously is is one thing but like with doing the podcast when you send hundreds of emails to different agents and you get nothing back there's that con you know you can mm. send a hundred email and get one one message back and that that constant rejection that you face in certain aspects of mm. of this world you, you know you quickly realize that that isn't you know finding the validation from such things like that is not going to give you happiness 
and ultimately we had mm. to find happiness in other things yeah and being creative industries you're hustling all the time constant hustle the best bit is making stuff for me creatively i guess i'm probably most happy the other day i was probably very very joyous when i got my guitar out of the cupboard which i hadn't done for a while and i set it up and i put logic in on my mac and plugged my guitar in and i wrote some riffs and i reckon i was pretty much in the zone there <laughs> being, that's such like, a musician in, in, sort of speak that is <laughs> <laughs> real but but, but i was in the zone man very pure i'm in yeah. the zone yeah but they're being very it was i think for me music is probably the the one of the purest forms and i think it really touches on so many senses more than some other great fields and i think I, I yeah when i'm sitting and playing i'm probably at my happiest but generally i mean i guess i'm at my most content and happiness when i'm just hanging out with my kids and my wife those are the moments where i'm most myself i know that they take me for as I, completely as i am and can be me i can be dad i can be husband and i'm not generally worrying about much when i'm in their company so that would be my two most favorite moments i guess charles thank you so much for joining me i think it's been an amazing chat and i could talk to you for hours but i really really appreciate your time oh thank you no i really appreciate you having me on and um yeah it's been lovely to talk to you So that was Giles Paley Phillips. Well, thank you so much to him. What a lovely, lovely person he is. And not to mention, he's super talented. I couldn't recommend his books enough, so go check his stuff out. All of the information is available in the description. And if you'd like to share your thoughts about this episode, then why not join our social networking site, social.starevents.online. Join me next week when I speak to the hilarious comedian, Ola Labib. Take care, stay safe and speak to you next week.